welcome to Cruise Club. We've got the need, the need to podcast. This is episode 14, Far and Away from 1992. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Michael Omanzi. Oh, wow. Okay. So this is apparently, I don't know if you if you knew this, but this is a comedy in Ireland because of how bad their accents oh, are. Oh, I've got news for you. It's a comedy in America, too. It's a comedy <laughs> everywhere. I mean, this is a great, great movie. But before we talk more about this movie, let's welcome in our guest, the host of the Not Her Again podcast. You may know him from his smash hit appearance on Too Fast, Too Forever. This very lap. Never seen a Fast and Furious movie before. <laughs> Joe and I made him watch the first one. Big fan. I can tell you he's a big fan of these movies. <laughs> he's watched them all since then, or has not watched another one. It's Michael Domenico. Hello, Michael. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here to talk about this very long movie. So here, <laughs> so here's the thing, Michael. I've, I've, talk, I've, I've said this to Mike both tonight about this uh, movie specifically, and also as you know, we've recorded things in the past, but when the title card came up, Western Ireland 1892, mm. I said out loud, ah, oh, fuck and i was worried and then i loved this movie i laughed so much i loved it it's basically i messaged greg mclennan our guest from last episode days of thunder the the previous kidman cruise team up and i said i love this movie and he said he calls it the titanic on land which i think he mentioned last episode (laughs) not about and it kind of is Mm -hmm. you know the first thing i gotta say is that it's crazy how stacked tom cruise's filmography is with good movies that no one talks about this movie mm-hmm. of all the movies that people are like oh my god he's so good in them this does not come up and this is incredible like this is a great movie <laughs> yeah like what struck me as so strange was i'm watching it and i'm like man this this feels like it's going to be a chore it really i'm like yeah not in the mm-hmm. mood i am not ready for a ron howard 90s wannabe old-timey epic sweeping music and this and by the end of it i wanted another hour or something i was so turned around within like 15 20 minutes of this movie or something the first act when i felt like i got a grip on it i just was smiling like the whole rest of the way through i just had such a good time watching the rest of it michael what about you what did you think of this movie when we when we sort of uh, assigned you of sorts a two and a half hour irish epic were you looking forward to this had you seen this before and what did you think of it after watching it i had never seen it before was i looking forward to it that's maybe a little strong um it is like 140 (laughs) minutes i don't know how specific you want me to get at this point but i i do think that the central issue for me with this movie is that it, like, really requires you, I think, to invest in the, like, Shannon and Joe stuff, which is Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. Mm-hmm. And I just, like, could not for the life of me figure out what their attraction was and why they <laughs> cared about each other outside of, like, a lot of convenience. But, like, I didn't really get anything other than the fact that it was, like, super convenient for her to have this guy. I mean, I guess what I kind of get why he was into her because she's beautiful, but, like, she's yeah. not that interesting, like... Honestly, so presumably, I didn't really get it. <laughs> presumably, he's the first penis that she's ever seen. Oh yeah, oh, definitely. That, they make the that abundantly right clear. <laughs> Favorite part. <laughs> she looks twice. Double check. Yep. So I did a little bit of research on this because I was like, when did they get married? Like, when were they? And they were married during this movie. Mm-hmm. So between the time of Days of Thunder and this movie, they had gotten married. We don't generally go too far in depth into the actors that we're covering personal right, lives stuff and outside like that. the movie yeah there's a little bit of importance here i think uh so cruz married mimi rogers in 1987 mm-hmm. they sort of separated in 89 and then got divorced in february of 1990 uh they released a statement early on that said that there there are a lot of positive aspects but things could not be resolved after a long period of time 
the important thing, I guess, the big notable event in their relationship is that she is the one that introduced him to Scientology. Mm-hmm. So it's because of her that the whole, all of that all happened. All crazy new, right, yeah. Yes. <laughs> what a claim to fame, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so then, the three years three years after they divorced, in 1993, Mimi Rogers is talking to Playboy, apparently, and said that Cruz was, quote, like a monk uh, when it comes to their intimacy issues. And then mm-hmm. she, I don't know if it was because of intimidation from the church or what happened, but she quickly retracted all that and said, no, 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 I didn't mean it like that. That was taken out of context. So that's the whole Mimi Rogers saga, which we did not cover at all, I don't think. I don't even think we've said her name nope. in these first 13-plus episodes. Oh. But Cruz and Kidman got married on Christmas Eve 1990. Yeah. So I guess they met on the set of Days of Thunder, possibly. Or we had seen, what did, we, what did I say last, last week, Mike, that he had seen her in another movie and wanted her yeah. in this movie. And so they, mm-hmm. they got her for Days of Thunder. I guess they fell in love. They got married. So they're a married couple acting opposite each other in this movie i can see where you're coming <laughs> from michael in terms of the i don't know why she would be attracted to him but i also he's a scrappy young go-getter and if, <laughs> if the choice is him or this kind of doofy entitled guy cruz got some stuff going for him yeah they just like for a married couple have like not a lot of chemistry i mean like off screen like they're married in real life and like it doesn't really translate in this movie. Unless other people thought it did. But for me, I was just like, outside of just like pure physical attraction, mm-hmm. I didn't really see that much going on between the two of them. And I think part a lot of it has to do with the writing, but I think part of it's also their performances. Yeah, p- part of it for me is um, I felt like this is a type of movie where it's like, hey, these two people just got married and they're making a movie together. Like, they're in love. And like, you bring your sort of public knowledge of their life into the theater with you and maybe that's what they were banking on it's like hey watch a mm-hmm. real life married couple fall in love on screen and i don't think they have the chemistry they did in days of thunder in this to be quite honest i think this is just a little too played a little too goofy and not if it was maybe it played a little more serious actually i might have bought their relationship more but then i wouldn't have bought a lot of the other stuff going oh god on. if this was more serious i could not get no. through this movie i can tell you that much <laughs> but um, to one degree you know like uh tom cruise's character is like you know he loves he loves taking pain and abuse and all that shit and like she treats him like shit like she's a big bully to him because of their class difference and all that kind of thing and he just kind of takes it and whatever and whatever to get to america so they could get to the oklahoma land race together and that whole thing sharing a dream but yeah i didn't i bought them more as brother and sister in disguise (laughs) than i did as people falling in love yeah me too well i think that's kind of because it's not really i mean it's a love story but it's not really a love story because for most of it they're not together Right, like even yeah. at the end when they when he finally gets the Oklahoma land rush, he just he sees her. He's like, "Oh, I'm cursed. Like I can't get away from this woman that you know I have attraction to, but we don't. We're not meant to be together. We're not he, supposed to be he, together." He can't even die to get away from her. She literally like comes back to life at the end of the fucking movie because of her. It's those it's those sweet sweet jeans, those Irish jeans, bringing the men back to life once. But no, I agree, Joey. Like I actually would want maybe more of them apart and none of their I, it would have been cool if they just if for once you know there's a movie like this where they didn't try and do like a jack and rose romance kind of thing and all that kind of stuff and like because it is very interesting when they're trying to be in america penniless on their own and you know they're working at like tom cruise is fighting for a living and she you know is like washing clothes but then she does the burlesque stuff and everything like it would have been cooler to maybe just see them go off on their own and they do but it's like the third act where she gets shot he drops her (laughs) off at the house like they're forced apart yeah at that time yeah i also just think that 
Her character in particular is just like begging to have something more to do because I think that this movie reminded me a lot in some ways of like Gone with the Wind where it's this like big epic and it's these people who are kind of in love I guess going through this like big historical event but at least with like Scarlet and Rhett there's like Scarlet's such an interesting character on her own and I don't think that Shannon is like remotely interesting because they try and make her be like oh she's independent like she's running away to America but she d- she's just like very um passive the whole time and like very reliant on Tom Cruise to do a lot of stuff for her and I just feel like her character they kind of want her to be like strong in that Gone with the Wind vein or something but they don't want her to be too strong so then they kind of dial it back too much characters keep telling her it's her dream to go to Oklahoma but I don't really get why it's why it is her dream. Like I just feel like her character needed to be more active and more aggressive maybe than they ended up writing her. Well, I think what's strange about this is that she's introduced when Tom Cruise is sleeping in their barn after yeah. he's trying to kill her dad. And she's introduced by like riding into frame on her horse and her mom yells out the window something to the effect of like you have to ride like a lady like you can't let people see you riding like that. So like she's got this independent sort of feisty streak in her, right? But she, we don't really see it. I mean, we see it a little bit, but we don't really see it. And I sort of agree with you there that, like, it would have been cool to sort of see more of her, you know, developed characterization. But I still think maybe, you know, I sort of chalk it up, maybe the fact that this is, like, 1890s and this is, like, what a woman is, quote-unquote, supposed to be or whatever. But I don't mind that as much. I would like to see a more well-rounded, fully-fleshed-out character. But I think that within the context of history and society it works or kind of gets a pass in that regard? I'm not sure. Yeah, I just, going back to that first scene, though, this is what was weird to me, was that you go back to that first scene when she meets him and he's hiding in the stable wing to kill her dad, which we'll get into later, I guess. But he's waiting in the the stable. You know, the mom yells at her, like, be like a lady, and you're like, ooh, I guess that she's not very ladylike. Like, ooh, like, I wonder how she's gonna, you know, be ahead of her time. And then she sees him, and she immediately runs out screaming that she was, like, raped by him when he hasn't even touched her. And I was like, wait, what's happening? I just felt like this constant push and pull with this character, where I was just like, mm-hmm. what, what is this adding up to? Like, I didn't really get where she was kind of coming from. Mm, and yeah. she has moments that are, like, good, but then she has moments that are, it's, like, always, like, a two steps forward, one step back kind of thing with her, in a way that felt, like, kind of disorienting and not complex in an interesting way, but just complex in a way that I was like, wait, why is she motivated to do this? Like, in a way that felt like she wasn't totally thought out or fleshed out the way that she should have been. I definitely got that, like, uh, especially in, like, the before they get to America, um, I was like, like, what's her purpose here? Like, what's going on? Like, all of a sudden, it felt like, oh, I'm running away. I'm going to America. Bye. And it's like, oh, yeah, right, sure. But, like, no, she really is running away and going to America. I'm like, wait, did I miss something? I didn't see this coming from her character quite yet. And then when she gets to America, yeah, she just, like, it just feels like she's grounded. Like, she, like, grounded in her room, kind of grounded. Like, she doesn't, like you say, get to very do very much or as much as maybe they could have given her to do there to make her more interesting. She gets to argue with Clint Howard about plucking chickens. It's, like, great. Uh, <laughs> I hear you there. I was definitely a little disoriented by it by that character yeah and not to compare it too much but like just really quickly i'll go on my one last comment with one tangent but at least with like scarlett o'hara by the time that she is independent having to do things on her own you've already maybe this hour should have been four hours this movie should have been four hours because by that point in gone with the wind you've already had two hours with scarlett to understand who she is as a person whereas like you're saying nicole kidman it's like here are a few quick scenes and by the way she's running to america and you're like wait what like yeah (laughs) yeah. where did this come from (laughs) whereas at least in gone with the wind you've had so much time to sink into the character and see how she interacts 
with people and see how she manipulates them to understand why she's doing the things she's doing in the second half of that movie. Yeah, I almost feel like she should have not run away to America until the villagers came to burn down the mansion. And that way, maybe she would have had a little more reason to or something, you know, Mm. like being driven out of the town. Because, yeah, you're right about, like, I see them trying to do, like, those comparisons to movies like Gone with the Wind. But also, like you're saying, like, Gone in the Wind, she goes through, like, a whole, like, movie before she gets back with Rhett. And then they go through, like, that tumultuous marriage and the kid and everything with the horse. And it's just like, oh, my God. (laughs) You know, like, it just keeps going. And this movie just stops, too. Like, it felt like if it wanted to or in some way needed, like, a sequel or something that it was never going to get. Maybe it's just like half eyes wide shut, baby. There we go. Exactly. <laughs> that is the official sequel now. I think they play Shannon and Joseph Donnelly again. Well, this is at the beginning <laughs> of their marriage, and that's at the end of their marriage, right? Oh yeah, so, oh. Like, perfect bookend movies. <laughs> so, Michael, what is your favorite part? If you had to pick a favorite part of this movie, another stuff that you sort of would like to have been better. But if there's a favorite moment or scene or line, there's a lot in here that I love. But what's if you had to pick a favorite moment, favorite thing about this movie, what would it be? I think the thing that stands out the most is the beginning of the land rush sequence. It's just like actually pretty incredible what they pull off and how many extras and stunt yeah. doubles and all mm-hmm. that that they must have had like physically there that couldn't really be done with CGI yet. I think so I have I think those numbers. It was 800 really extras, 400 Damn. horses, Whoa. 200 wagons. Damn. Yeah. It's incredible. Nice going, Ron Howard. Like, I will say that this was a stunningly beautiful looking movie and everything yeah, there it is, is beautiful. real. You can tell it's real, right? And I really appreciated that. So now, Michael, I have a follow-up question to that, unrelated mm-hmm. to the movie itself, kind of. It feels like everyone who's in the land rush is doing it wrong. It feels like Cruz has it right, where he's just like on a horse, a fast horse by himself. I'm going to go plant this flag. I'm going to catch up the people, plant the flag. Seems like everyone who's towing all their earthly belongings is going to hit a divot and flip and lose everything. So my question to both of you, we'll start with, we'll start with Michael, is if you if you were in the Great Land Rush of 1893, what would be your strategy to get the land that you want? And I don't know if there's an actual answer to this question because I feel yeah. like I would have no idea how to answer this question. I mean, I think the answer is that you become. Isn't that what Sooners are? They're the people who kind of snuck in illegally and then they like knew which one they wanted, which is what her parents. Yeah, her do. parents. That's why they call them Sooners instead of Boomers, and it's the Sooner state because so many people were going and being like, "Oh, I just got here," but they had already staked it out. That's what you got to do. You got to stake it out before and basically cheat your way because it's a total crapshoot, you know. I also feel like I don't know why. Like, why would it be illegal other other than just like. Like, I don't know why you, you shouldn't have, like, a scout team that can go find out what land you're literally going to be living on forever. Like, why is that not allowed? I guess it's just they just didn't allow it? They needed some kind of order, right? Like, they couldn't just... I mean, it is pretty much a free-for-all anyway, but at least, you know, here's a flag, here's, like, a little, like, map or whatever, and, you know after that it's like best of luck yeah and like it's 1893 so there's not a lot of enforcement if people are like i'm just gonna go scout and be really honest about it it's like how how are you gonna scout and then make sure that these people aren't actually taking their flags and planting them before everyone else gets a chance to so i feel like it's just like practicality when they're like we don't have drones people we have like (laughs) 20 guys on horseback you have to just wait (laughs) all right so idea for a movie it's a remake of the great land rush or not a remake but like a reimagining where there's one guy with a drone, and then he <laughs> becomes the emperor of the West. Incredible. Mike, what, what about you? What was your, your favorite part of this movie, favorite line, favorite moment, favorite scene? You know, I was kind of joking earlier when I said, uh, you know, when Nicole Kidman took her peeks at uh, Tom Cruise. Oh, so long. <laughs> that is so hilarious. Real quick, but, real quick. Oh, okay. So apparently Ron Howard was not getting, this is according to the IMDb trivia, this is the top trivia on IMDb. He was not getting the facial reactions that he wanted from her 
when she was lifting the dish and seeing his junk. The, the scene, for those of you who have not seen the movie, is that Tom Cruise is stabbed in the thigh by Nicole Kidman with a pitchfork after she finds him in their stable. And so they kind of... It's sort of a little bit like... Uh, oh God, Back what's to that the movie? Future? No, no, no. no. What's that movie? The, um, it's so Back to the Future, though. That's what I was thinking when The Marty's... remake, the, the recent one, the one with Colin Farrell that it was the remake of the Clint Eastwood movie. The Beguiled? Yes, The Beguiled. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that, where they're like, we're going to lock him up in this room. We're going to kind of go about our business, but we're going to let him mend. They have him up in this room. You know, he, They've got his leg bandaged or whatever, but they have him fully naked, head to toe, with mm-hmm. just like what seems like kind of like a bedpan, I guess, just over his junk. So you see his, like, ripped 25-year-old body or whatever, just like a big old dish over his junk. And she peeks a couple times, like we said we said before. So Ron Howard was not getting the reactions he wanted from her. So he said to Tom Cruise, take off your underwear. And he didn't tell Nicole Kidman. And then so she actually saw him. And then that her reaction was real. And because, you know, her husband still, but not, I guess still not expecting uh, yeah. to see his, his on, dick on you set. Know, <laughs> while filming this movie. But I feel like that is just like textbook sexual harassment these days. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sure, like, but also, it's married. They're married. I mean, it's still not that it's not, but it's different. <laughs> no, I mean, they are married. It is different if they're married, I think. But I'm just I'm like, wow, this story would not fly in like 2019. <laughs> People wouldn't be like, aw. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't know, like. If they were married today, I guess there'd still maybe be an issue. I don't know. I don't know. Like, it's, it's funny, but it's also like, uh, okay, all right. It's just weird that it was Ron Howard telling him to do it. I think if yeah. Tom Cruise had decided <laughs> to do it, it would be less weird. I think it's weirder when another man tells you to do it, I think is, like, the issue that I'm ha- having. I would agree I'm, like, with oh, that. That's the part that feels weird about it. Like, uh, I think that's fair. Because I'm sure Tom Cruise would know her, you know, reaction to it anyway, you know. Mike, what about you? Did you, did you say a favorite moment? I know you oh, like yeah. the peeking. No, I mean, yeah, no. So I have, like, my real favorite stuff about this movie is definitely, you know, how, uh, from as far as I could tell, with my primitive eyes, is that uh, it's all real. Like, they shot in real locations and these real mansions and, like, all these real horses and extras and all that kind of stuff. And, this, and, and it, the cinematography is gorgeous. And, like, all of that combined, I think, was, like, half of why I was really into this movie, you know? Because, again, like, I'm not... It's a whatever kind of... Like, there's no real, like, love story for me here going on. And it's more just about, oh, uh, two people trying to not starve to death, you know, in early America. <laughs> I kind of, that's what I clang to. It was, it's almost like an Eastern, not like a Western, you know, but like all the stuff <laughs> takes place like on the East Coast, but it is the 1800s and stuff. So that to me is very fascinating. The realness of it, like really bled through the screen for me. Like I really give Ron Howard a lot of credit with like his geography, his location and all that kind of stuff, you know. I'm not quite sure he got the tone right, but it's still enjoyable. I think, you know, I, I agree with you, like the tone might be off, but I think because the tone is off is the only reason, not the only reason, but like the main reason I enjoyed this. Mm. Because mm-hmm. I was expecting a dry, like historical epic and I was I was blown away by just like how weird and goofy it was. Because my favorite moment, a couple different things that I really like. The first line that I was like, oh, I'm going to like this movie. The movie starts with Tom Cruise as a poor Irish farmer and like there's this tension, like the opening title card is like, farmer versus landowner and poor guy sticking up against the rich guy and like the rich guy is taking advantage of all this different stuff tom cruise's family is not paying its rent and so tom cruise's dad dies and then comes back to life and then dies again and as they're carrying him to be buried we, we now know that nicole kidman sort of betrothed you know slaps them with an overdue rent notice basically and then sets their farm on fire and so tom cruise decides that he's gonna go kill kelly who's Nicole Kidman's dad. We don't know this at the time. Nicole Kidman's dad, 
uh, because he wants to get back at the man who like basically ruined everything that he has. And he's a landowner of Tom Cruise's farm. He goes to this bar and he sort of stakes out Kelly. Then he goes to this graveyard. Kelly's like drunk, but like Cruise can't shoot him because the horse pulls him away. And at one point, Tom Cruise just says, this is a difficult murder. And I just laughed out loud. <laughs> and I was like, oh, if this is the kind of movie that we're watching, I love it. And then, you know, we said we said earlier that when Cruz is hiding in the stables and, like, you know, Nicole Kidman throws the horseshoe and it lands and doesn't hit him. And then, like, she stabs a pitchfork, like, right next to him. And, like, I, I cracked up at that, too. Like, there were just a bunch of different things. And then, again, the peaking and everything like that. There were just a lot of things that I loved, like Nicole Kidman climbing into his window. Like, I'm here. I'm here to rescue you. And he's like, I don't want your, like, I don't know who you are. I don't like you. I don't trust your family. Get out of here. But, like, she, like, stumbles into his room and then, like, has, like, this great physical pratfall and then quickly regains her composure. Like, there's so many little mm-hmm. acting moments, like funny lines and, like, funny gestures and everything like that that I just love. The only other one I want to point out now is that when Cruz becomes this boxing star in Boston, there's this woman at the boxing club that he's at. It's like a, sort of a brothel boxing arena, whatever. And it's this woman, Grace, who's a burlesque dancer and I guess maybe a prostitute, I'm not sure. A burly cue. <laughs> she comes over and she's kind of flirting with him and he's up in the window with Nicole Kidman and they're posing as brother-sister. She's saying, oh, do you want to go to church with me? And he's like, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll be happy. We can sit in the same pew. It's going to be great. She leaves and Nicole Kidman says she's got an awfully large chest to be going to church. And Tom Cruise says, Shannon, all chests are equal in the eyes of the Lord. And I died. I loved it. I loved it so much. I love that line. It's so goofy. Like, it's so yeah. funny and just so weird. And I love it. Yeah. I think when I caught on was uh, how many times and how horribly wrong it goes for Tom Cruise to try and kill that one landowner. Like, <laughs> af- after he, like, gets his wits about him again, he comes right downstairs and, like falls down the stairs like like, onto his face like an idiot and then he's like trying to sneak around the corner and shoot him and he like the gun goes off like next to his ear or something and and then there's that whole thing with the duel in the fog i'm like what is happening and the dad's like on his side he's like i don't want to be doing this either yeah so it's just it keeps running with that luck like thankfully and like it is funny like that's the funny thing is like i was surprised how funny this movie actually is also let's never forget that this is a movie in which nothing can't be solved by punching it including <laughs> the moment where tom cruise punches a horse for acting yes. up and tames the horse by punching it in the face like i i can't i don't know how to respond to that other than like i i just i was like ha okay okay you win, movie. I mean, it's you, basically you it. now the movie that Tom Cruise punches a horse in the face. Like, that's yeah. what far and away is yeah. to me, you know? Yeah, and I did that in, like, Red Dead Redemption 2 once, and the horse had a very <laughs> different reaction. <laughs> oh, and it man. was a mistake, and it was a whole thing. And I had a calmer down. I was like, Jessica Lang, the name of my horse. I was like, Jessica Lang, like, come on. <laughs> I did not mean to do this. You know me. It took a lot of it took a lot of effort to get her back. It's like blazing saddles, right? Like that's what happens. It's like <laughs> the real deal though. I also want to point out one of maybe the finest moment in this movie is that after Nicole Kidman, so they, they go to the boxing club, it's the night of the big fight. This guy has staked a lot of claim in Tom Cruise. He like bet big on Tom Cruise. Cruise is like, I'm not fighting, you know, my quote unquote sister is acting like a burlesque dancer. I need to get her out of here. My mind's distracted. The guy says, I'll split the winnings with you. If you fight and you win, we'll split the winnings. And Nicole Kidman's like, oh, by all means, fight, because we're going to be set for life if you do this. And so he fights... 
but things go awry because there's sort of some nonsense and you know the guy who bet on him is now also expecting sort of like a sexual favors from Nicole Kidman and this whole murkiness and so Tom Cruise loses the fight and so as punishment for losing what I guess is sort of a sure like a slam dunk fight this also is you know art imitating life or life imitating art now that Justin Bieber wants to fight Tom Cruise like I don't know you know there's there's a lot of boxing <laughs> things going on both in this movie and in real life anyway <laughs> They get kicked out of their apartment, they get robbed, they lose all their money, they go sneak into this big mansion, they sort of pretend that she's like this wealthy woman again, that he's her servant, they kiss for the first time, you know, this is like their their gesture of love, this is where they're actually connecting, they get caught, they get found out, they get chased out, and then she gets shot in the back as they're escaping. And so he brings her to her family, who's now also in Boston, and the finest moment of the movie is that it seems like he literally runs from Boston to the Ozarks <laughs> over the span of eight months, that he sprints through the cold and snowy winter, smash cut to Ozark Mountains eight months later. And if that's not one of the finest Tom Cruise running moments of all time, I don't know what is. <laughs> very, very true. He does... There's a whole other movie in there. What happens in those eight months, you know? There's, like, this whole scrappy story, but we don't get to see it. Again, this movie had to be another 140 minutes. Yeah, I was a little bummed when we jump that far ahead in time, pick up, like, so far away, and, like, in a completely different situation, and he seems <laughs> settled and something different about him, and I was like, oh, I kind of feel a little short-changed. Do you mean so far away or so far and away? So far and away, exactly, Ooh. yeah, that's incredible but that was great running you know i didn't think it's funny because they keep talking about the land race throughout the whole movie and stuff and i was like oh is that when he's gonna run is it gonna be a foot race like i really had i really really <laughs> hoped that like the horse again like because he has a horse that dies i was like please let this horse i don't want to wish ill on a fake horse but like please let this <laughs> horse die and then have him sprint and beat him there like that would be great yeah but so i don't think we've seen him running in the snow yet so that was good it was nice but i do think that that smash cut to eight months like i love the fact that like he literally runs the ozark mountains seemingly <laughs> but that's my least favorite part of the movie where like i think the movie because i feel like they were starting to click there like when their relationship was sort of starting to work out and i know that you kind of have to like break apart there if you will but I feel like that's where the movie really kind of, like, slams on the brakes. Like, it jumps ahead, but, it, like, it slams on the brakes. And, like, when they separate, I feel like there's part of the movie where, like, it doesn't feel like it have the same magic that it had up to that point. And I love where the movie gets, and I love the way that it ends, because it's weird and, like, fits in this weird world. But I think that, like, that, that pivot point where they go eight months ahead, and she's now settled in the Oklahoma Territory, and he's in the Ozarks feel like that whole part of the movie like that transition and i think maybe you know like what michael's been saying like there's got to be more here because it feels like we're missing so much good stuff and it feels like here just all the details all the nice interactions all the character development that we had seen over the previous like two hours or hour and a half or hour 40 or whatever kind of feels like it it goes out the window here and it's kind of a bummer yeah it also just starts to become very convenient in a way where it's like I guess maybe it's trying to say something about, like, fate. But he ends up on the train, and they're like, the other guys are like, oh, this is Oklahoma. And he's like, this is Oklahoma, which is a huge state. And he's like, <laughs> I guess I'll get off here and participate in the land rush. And you're like, wait, what? Like, are you sure that you're in the right part of Oklahoma? Because it's not, like, small. But anyway. And then he, like, ends up there, and, like, Nicole Kidman happens to be there. Also, right before that, her family, like, happened to be in Boston looking for her at the exact night that she was shot and just like all the stuff where you're like oh it starts to get a little too convenient and it's a movie already with some conveniences but it's getting a little too uh 
convenient for everyone here that everything just keeps being like oh would you look at that i mostly agree with like both of you guys is that like it just it feels like it fast forwards at that point like it really seems like it's finally trying to build like some of the romance that it's been promising the whole movie where it's like oh like they're alone they're penniless they're breaking into a house they're pretending it's a fantasy they're gonna kiss like it's all magic and everything and then she gets shot (laughs) you know it's almost like the movie's like psych Fast forward, we're going to cut out like eight chapters of this book that I don't know if it is an adaptation, but I'm just it feels like, oh, we have this book. We don't have enough money and time to do the whole thing. We got up to like chapter 20, like 30 chapters here. We can only afford to do four more. Do we do the last four or the next four? Well, we got to include the race, right? You know, once we skip ahead eight months, it feels like we're on autopilot. It just feels like boom, boom boom, just get to that race, get this movie yeah. over with. And I wanted to breathe more at the end here. I mean, like, it earned it. Like, it finally won me over, and now it's sort of, like, kicking me out the door or something. It doesn't look like this was based on a book. It looks like it was an original idea for the movie. So I feel, I, I agree with you that it feels like an adaptation, because it feels like there's so much story here that they're covering so much of what they're missing other parts of. Like, I'm really amazed how well, like, it shifts when they get to uh, America and, like, he becomes the prize fighter. I was like, whoa, like, I really did not see that coming. Like, it was taking all these twists and turns, and then, yeah, that that last act just becomes, like you were saying, like, very convenient, basic, just, like, you can totally see what's coming. Like, we still get the great race. Like, the land race is great visually and all that kind of stuff, but it's just, like, nothing really feels like it's uh, building anymore or, or trying to grow anything. Like, the characters feel like they've gotten to a place and they're going to stay there for the rest of the movie. Is that your least favorite moment of the movie? Is it the, the transition there, or is there something about this that you like less than that? Yeah, probably just that. Like, I did feel, like, a little uh, gypped when it said it skipped that far ahead. Because, honestly, yeah. I don't need know that it needed to. It could have just been, like, a month and a half or even four months, and I might have it might have tasted better in my mouth you know like there's just something like eight months really and you know it's like with dark knight rises like eight years uh like four years five even but yeah i think for me it just kind of you know started to pull me back out and michael what about you is that your least favorite part of the movie or is there something that you liked less other than i guess the overall lack of development for nicole kibben's character but if you had to pick a least favorite part of this movie what would you say that is my least favorite part of the movie is when Her parents come over to America, right? And her dad is the guy that Tom Cruise is trying to kill because his dad is, like, the landlord. They're, you know, oppressing all these, like, Irish farmers and whatever. Her dad gets, like, zero comeuppance in the entire movie. And he cheats his way into the Oklahoma thing, which is exactly what I said my strategy would be, but I'm also not a landlord, so it's okay (laughs) when I do it (laughs) because I'm on the right side of history. He's, like cheats gets the la- the exact land that he wants with his wife and like everything's hunky dory for them and i was like wait what i want to see this guy have like some kind of something happen to him because he's like part of this like really oppressive system and this movie started out with tom cruise exacting a vengeance on him for burning for him burning down his father's house everything's like fine and i was like wait what did they forget yeah, about these it, characters? He, the, he did feel like the kind of guy where, like, a horse was going to, like, maim him or cripple yeah. him somehow, right? <laughs> yeah, I didn't need it to be, like, excessively violent. I just thought he'd be dead by the end of this, not, like, rewarded for, like, the horrible crimes he committed in Ireland. I feel like, and I'm not sure if this is actually, if this works or not, but I feel like the movie wants to sort of portray her dad as not necessarily a good guy, but not a bad guy. Like, he's just sort of like a 
a rich guy in Ireland who's on the other side of the of the of the war of the battle or whatever from Tom Cruise. I feel like the movie really wants to position Stephen, who's the betrothed, you know, the guy that Nicole Kidman, I guess, is sort of promised to or whatever. Hmm. It makes him the villain. Whether or not that works for you is, I guess, to be determined. But I think the movie isn't really saying her dad is bad because I feel like in the duel he's kind of showing like a nicer, softer side. Maybe that's because he thinks that Tom Cruise is about to die. I don't know. I feel like the movie wants him to be sort of okay-ish, the Steven to be the, the guy that you root against. And so in that regard, you know, Steven doesn't really have any kind of comeuppance either. He just doesn't get the land that he wants, and I guess he loses out on Nicole Kidman. I don't know, like, I don't really have a, too much of a problem with the dad not having a comeuppance. I feel like the fact that he doesn't have one at all and Steven doesn't really have one kind of combined isn't great, but I don't know. I guess it's my, like, intense class warfare instinct. I was like, this guy, good things cannot happen to him in this movie. And then this movie was like, good things happen to landowners who are rich. I was like, no, 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 no. That is not the story (laughs) I want to be told. I want to be told of a vengeance story against this one specific guy, whether he had good intentions or bad intentions. But, you know, I also maybe got carried away. (laughs) This is the cinematic equivalent of you against Jeff Bezos moving Amazon's headquarters into New York. Like, no, no, no. Oh my god, yeah, it actually is, though. I could have just had like it just been the folly of Tom Cruise trying to shoot him over two and a half hours, right? Just like bumbling <laughs> that movie. Wait, that would be a great like, movie. Live, die, repeat. <laughs> just him trying to shoot the landowner. The whole That's time. an amazing movie concept. Just like him, literally not able to kill this old man who like can barely walk. And Joey, like you mentioned, the Stephen character, like yeah. I totally forgot about this doofus until you just like, yeah, where was he most of the movie? Like, you know, they really build him back up at the end as super important and he's there in the beginning and stuff but like they rarely cut back to ireland and when they do i don't i don't remember seeing him around and all of a sudden he's searching for her in america and then he's out there and at the land race and everything and yeah he looks like a good old-fashioned dastardly villain with his mustache and all that kind of stuff and his crappy attitude but there's a character that they really just sort of for to me felt like oh we need this presence here it it felt like it should have been someone from the fighting hall right like it should have been like chief o'brien or someone from star trek like that guy who was you know one of tom cruise's backers um Mm. who played him like cole meany from con air like someone else right like i don't know this guy i don't know he wasn't doing it for me. A little weird bit of trivia is that the, the actor who plays Steven was born the same day in the same year as Tom Cruise. So they're basically the same person. So that's <laughs> a thing. That's weird, right? I also uh, looked up Grace, who is the, the, the chesty burlesque, the burlesque dancer. dancer. She's been in a bunch of like crazy B-movies like Waxwork, which is awesome, oh. and Dr. Giggles. Oh. But I think she maybe most is known for the Blame It on Rio movie where she dates oh. Michael Caine. Okay. Yeah. And I think she's like <laughs> naked the entire movie from what I've yeah. gathered up Her on. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I was, like, I was like, she's so pretty and sort of bubbly and, you know, I, I wanted to see who she was, and I was like, oh, like she's been in like really weird kind of cool stuff, and then also this movie that I haven't seen, Blame It on Rio, where, you know, Michael Caine is an old dude yeah. sleeping with like a 20-year-old or whatever, so... His- Best friend's daughter. It's, cool. Yeah. It was like that awesome. movie, Adore, with Naomi Watts. Did you, either of you see that one? Where it's like oh, no, moms. I've heard of that one, though. Uh-huh. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. How does it get made covered? It? So I finally watched it for that. It's like two moms, I think, want to sleep with the other's like sons. It's yeah. a weird oh, premise. Oh, okay, but, okay. Yeah. Go see that. If, you, if you're into that kind of movie, 
I guess it's good. I don't know. That's with Robin Wright? Is that with Robin Wright? I think it's Robin Wright okay. and Naomi Watts, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's I was getting sort of, a, um, sort of a Wesley and uh, Buttercup vibe from Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman in this movie a little bit when she's like, servant boy, like, you know, slave, like all this stuff to him early on, right? You could be my servant. I was just like, ah, uh, he's going to be the next Red Pirate Roberts one day. Whenever I hear someone say slave, I just think of uh, David Cross in oh, Mr. God. When he where, where Bob Odenkirk plays the minister, and he's just like, no, 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 I have to do this. Oh, slave, eat this glass. So, yeah, so this is a, this is a movie in which Tom Cruise dies. Like he, so at the end of the movie, he's on a really fast. I mean, horse. not really. <laughs> well, he dies. He does die. Uh, he gets for a few seconds a horse. So hold on, let me, let me set up the scene. He's on a very fast horse. He catches up to Stephen. He catches up to Nicole Kidman. There's a plot of land that Stephen has found that he wants. And so Tom Cruise beats him there, and he says, this land is mine, mine by destiny. And he's about to stake the claim, and then I guess he's like, I don't know if this is the life that I want. Like, we don't really know. And I guess before I go further, like, why do you think he doesn't claim that land? Is it because he's afraid of commitment, or he doesn't think he deserves it, or he doesn't think that he deserves Nicole Kidman? Like, why doesn't he take that land? I think it's the deserving Nicole Kidman part. Yeah. I don't know. That's how I read it in the moment. We're like, because what else would he be debating in his head? But he keeps telling her, he's like, you know, go on without me, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't want to, don't want you to, like, lose your family over me. You have this guy who's terrible and I've, I've like, actively tried to kill. But, like, you know, y- you should totally be with him. And it feels like that's kind of the conflict, but it's not super clear. But that's kind of what I thought the movie was like telling me was that that was his hesitation yeah i I was super confused to be quite honest at that moment i was like what is he waiting for like this is like everything to him and like throughout the whole movie even nicole kidman's like you know people tell me this is my destiny but right she's the one who said but it's like not really my destiny or or that that comes up and tom cruise is like what am i really doing out here you know do i really want this land like i'm a prize but you know like there's other ways to make money and make a life and a living so maybe at that point like he doesn't want it or he sees nicole kidman and is like i can't truly provide for her like this should be for her did he already get run over by the horse too maybe no 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 so not yet not yet okay because i was gonna say my last ditch thing was like oh i'm dying what good would i what i do owning this land kind of thing no so what happens he he's about to stake the claim he does not steven's like oh this is my moment this guy's not gonna do it i'm gonna go do it so then he races toward it on his horse tom cruise is like oh shit doesn't put the flag on the ground, instead jumps on Steven's horse, tackles him off the horse, but then the horse falls on Tom Cruise. I thought he was going to get paralyzed. Like, I thought that, like, he was going to live, like, be paralyzed or whatever, and that she was going to, like, that was some kind of, like, Twilight zone twist or whatever. I'm not sure. The horse pins him and slams his head on a rock in the ground, and then he dies. But just like his dad in the beginning of the movie, he is brought back to life. Then he and Nicole Kidman, I guess, get the land because Steven runs off. It's a weird, like, it's a very quick, abrupt ending. Like, with the -the over-the-top score, I kind of like it. Like, it's kind of cheesy, but I also kind of like it. It didn't, I mean, I wanted it to work really bad, but I was expecting there to be, like, a fight to the death or something, right? Where, like, they kill each other, and Nicole Kinman is about to, like, stake the claim, and then he... You know, she kisses him and he floats back into his body and they do it together or something. It just, as climactic as it was, it didn't feel as grandiose as I was expecting, I guess. At that point in the end, I thought that it was, I don't know, someone was going to get shot. Someone was, yeah, something more brutal might be happening. But, you know, he does die. 
So, I mean, it goes very far. A horse falls on him, he slams his head into a rock. That's pretty brutal. Yeah, yeah you don't survive that. I was no. like, oh, he's definitely dead. And they were like, then the music came in where it was like, ooh, ah. And I was like, oh, what? what? And he was like, I'm alive. And I was like, uh, are you sure you don't have, like, brain damage, though? Well, he does say, <laughs> and I quote, I feel myself dying. I'm like, oh, boy, like, that's a, that's a line. That's a hell of a line. He's like, I don't know if the viewers know this, but I'm dying because I was hit <laughs> by a horse in the head. <laughs> And it's like, yeah, I think we probably assumed that you weren't going to make it out of that one. In case you didn't see the rock covered in his blood, the back of his neck <laughs> yeah. dripping in blood, the fact that he can't stand up. Yeah, I think I think he's dying. So then what the hell happens when the camera, like, cranes back from his head <laughs> as if it's his soul leaving his body, and then Nicole Kidman, like, kisses him or something, and it just, like, swoops back in, and, like, his soul re-enters, and his she eyes open. him. It's insane, though. Like it's, in, but like he's like he's bleeding to death. How much longer is he gonna be alive? Like a day, two, and then it's, it's be like, like the the animated movie Tangled. Oh, okay. So it's like it's like a magic kiss, and he's all healed, and they're gonna yeah. go live forever. Oh my right. god, this movie! <laughs> <laughs> the fact that 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 gimmick not only happens like once but twice in this movie, where someone like dies, but then is like just kidding. <laughs> You're like, what? I feel like in the movie's defense, that the fact that it happens at the beginning sets up the end. Like if it just well, happened, yeah. oh like, yeah, wait, what? But uh, yeah. the fact that it happens at the very beginning establishes through some kind of weird precedent that like this is okay in this world i don't know or that it that it's possible but also is it some kind of stereotype about the irish that i'm not aware okay, of okay right i was like thinking about that into, i don't think so because it exploits just about every other stereotype about the irish from it the felt like they were like the magical drinking. leprechauns almost that are like we actually are immortal and i was like wait <laughs> what's happening there's like he's sweeney todd or whatever his name is mad sweeney from american gods right like he is one of these magical immortal folk of the plane or whatever they're called but like because yeah because you know the accent the fighting the drinking i'm just like man this is this is really leaning in <laughs> to all those stereotypes i don't think they mentioned potatoes though so it's not, it's not all the boxes just most of the boxes i'm oh gonna know they mentioned potatoes once there is a potato <laughs> reference where someone's oh, talking really? about <laughs> yeah someone's talking about like, what they'll farm one day, and they mention potatoes as an option. And I was like, classic. <laughs> <laughs> this is also a movie that has a boxing montage, which is great. Like, it's just this cool <laughs> boxing montage that Tom Cruise... So Tom Cruise, in the middle of this movie, uh, becomes <laughs> a boxer. Like, he, he's been boxing with his brothers growing up, I guess, and just, like, you know, annoying asshole older brothers. And so he's got this, like, fighting background. So to make money in America, he walks into this club and just knocks a guy out. They're like, oh, okay, I guess he can box. <laughs> Then there's a boxing montage where he's very successful, but the best boxing in this movie is when... So he and Nicole Kidman are sharing a room, and they're posing as brother and sister because otherwise it's scandalous, I guess. And so he's sleeping on the floor, she's on the bed. They're having like this sort of sexual, like sexually charged kind of moment, I think. And he hears above him a couple having sex in this hotel, and he's like, I can't take this. And mm-hmm. he sprints out of there, runs to the club, and just like wants to fuck shit up. And I was just like, this is so good. Like, it's just like his literal release from all of this. Mm-hmm. That he's going to go punch dudes in the middle of the night, and that's when Grace brings him home, and he sort of starts this like maybe kind of affair or fling or just flirtation. 
uh, with Grace. But I I love yeah. where he's just laying in bed, can't hear the sounds of of, of having of people having sex above him, and then just sprinting to go beat dudes up. Yeah, and when he knocks that guy out, he like creams his pants like clearly, like it's in his <laughs> face, like he, it is a vinegar stroke face on his contents there. But but also what I loved about that montage is. You know, he single-handedly, like, reinvents boxing in America. Like, everyone fights in, like, that old-timey stance, you know, like the bare knuckle with, like, your two arms, like, far out in front of you, and, like, they're rotating. You know, I'm doing it now. You can't see it because this isn't a visual medium, but, uh, like, Conan O'Brien usually, like, dances around like that and throws fake punches and stuff. But, you know, that old mustachioed style and everything. And, and in comes Tom Cruise with his, like, wild Irish fighting dodging and uppercuts and, like, kidney punches and just all kinds of new ways to uh beat guys down i also like how this is clearly just like a a test run for ron howard to do cinderella man in like 13 (laughs) years which i love like trying it out can i do boxing can i sort of do soft fuzzy focus oh i can okay yeah yeah yeah. can i do period boxings like specifically period boxing not any boxing he wants to set it back in you know the old days. Also, I can totally see Russell Crowe as the Steven role. You know, like a, a younger, mm. sort of thinner. That would have been better. Oh, yeah, yeah. Apparently Sean Bean was considered or something for that role, but he turned it down or just didn't get the part or whatever. But I can also see Sean Bean in that role. I don't know who this guy, I don't know who the guy is who plays. Like, I don't know what, I, what I've seen him from. He was Isn't okay. He like the Criminal Minds guy or CSI or something? Oh, is it? Yeah, okay. Criminal Minds. And he's like the personal bodyguard or something of the family? Like, like that's what I was trying to Unclear. Yeah. Michael, do you have any other thoughts about this movie before we uh, nominate it for some awards and play some games? I think that those are most of my thoughts, you know? This movie needs another, like, six hours. I'll say it. I'll be the brave person to say it. (laughs) (laughs) Miniseries this, right? Like, Netflix this shit. It's always weird when a movie is this long, you're like, I want more of it. I guess, I mean, is there there a way, like, is there a version of this movie that works as, like, an hour 40? Like, can we cut stuff out? Mm to make it shorter or is it something that like is good enough that we just want more like is there a shorter version of this that works i mean cut out the part in ireland and just start in america i'd buy yeah i buy that yeah and just kind of flesh out the boxing stuff more all right and maybe fill in a few of those gaps between the eight months you know instead of like starting in ireland just make it all about america yeah the ireland stuff doesn't add like that much i mean i know it's the impetus for the entire movie but like it doesn't add that much when you think back on it yeah the movie kind of comes alive when she rescues him at the duel in the carriage and then they go on the boat and they do basically live titanic for 10 minutes yeah and then they go to america (laughs) and then the movie really comes alive like right i also want to i want to i want to make sure that we talk about hey shannon do you like my hat when he just buy in i can't believe he bought another hat Love it. Just love it. Yeah, you know, they could have always just talked about how many times he attempted to kill her father back in Ireland. (laughs) We didn't really need to see, like, the nine unsuccessful. Then again, I did want, like, the whole movie of that. That's definitely a really good, like, prequel. Like, we'll have our normal movie where we cut out the Ireland stuff and then just a two-hour prequel or just him trying to kill this guy for two and a half hours. Mike, what about you? Any other last thoughts about far and away before we play some games well it's just like i was really surprised like it was one of those movies where um man it it just it felt kind of like work you know we get those every once in a while and uh we've been it's so spoiled with tom cruise's stuff like he's just every movie has just been so much fun i was like oh no like we reached the one in my mind you know because no one had been talking to you know no one told me this is the one where he punches a horse in the face you know if i'd known that i'd been much more chipper going in uh but it really it took me you know a while to uh really get in the groove of this you know he had to 
fall down the stairs a few times. You had to like fall down the stairs a lot, I guess. Once uh, once I found its groove, once they got to America, really for me, this this thing works and it's a lot of fun. And uh, I'm not sure if it's what they were going for is the other you know like i got that in the back of my mind like i'm not sure if they meant for it to play this funny it's almost like when i used to go see tarantino movies like *Inglorious bastards and i was like wait i'm like laughing through two hours of this and it's like a war movie or whatever and like i kind of feel the same way here like i'm not sure if i should be laughing through this whole movie but i am now and i'm and i'm having fun and you know in that regard like it's super entertaining and i totally recommend it i think it's meant to be funny because i feel like we're laughing at things that are not unintentionally funny like we're not laughing at the accents we're not laughing at this or that like i feel like the things that we're laughing at are funny moments maybe it's just a subversion of the expectations of what you think it's gonna be and then what it actually is you know like we just like the last hanks movie that we watched i guess two hanks movies ago mike when we did every time we say goodbye and it starts in jerusalem 1942 and i was like ah jesus and then that movie is exactly what i thought it was gonna be yeah this is like i thought this was gonna be that but it's not Right. And in that regard, it just it's such a breath of fresh air. Yeah, agreed. The only other thing that I want to say, is because you mentioned Back to the Future earlier, is that apparently the dress that Nicole Kidman looks at in the window in Boston when Tom mm. Cruise buys his hat is the dress that was worn, or one of the dresses worn by Clara in the last scene oh. in Back to the Future 3. That dress, mm. I guess, made its way around, or maybe they had it in, on display here because Back to the Future 3 was a couple years before this. So maybe they're just like sort of a little nod or whatever, but Back to the Future connection right there for you. So Michael, here's a question for you. We, you know, we played some games on Too Fast, Too Forever. We got some different games here. Ooh. We have the Tom Hanks podcast. We have this Tom Cruise podcast. Mm-hmm. If Tom Hanks were in this lead role of Joe, do you think this would have worked? What would that movie look like? Or if that is mind-boggling and that doesn't work at all for you, what role could Tom Hanks have played in this movie instead of the the Tom Cruise role? Ooh, that's a tough question. I think my gut instinct on whether he could take over the Tom Cruise role, probably not. I already thought that there was, like, not sufficient chemistry between Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. I don't really picture Tom Hanks and Nicole Kidman having a better chemistry, and I think that he doesn't have... I don't know, there is, like, a scrappiness to Tom Cruise that works in the character that I don't think Tom Hanks is, like necessarily known for so i guess if i had to place him as someone in the movie could he have played the steven role do you think yeah i'm trying to think about that i guess like tom hanks can play a pretty good asshole some sometimes and that's basically all you have to do to be steven and there's not really like an age appropriate role for him other than steven otherwise he could just be one of the like boxing promoter guys i think he'd be real good at hamming it up as one of the like promoters for the boxing club stuff yeah because what's a little weird about this movie especially for this game, Mike, is that, like, there's not a lot of character development across the board, and I feel like even the two main characters, like, I feel like this movie really only wants us to care about Cruz and Kidman, which is fine, but I feel like even they don't grow that much. I think it's their relationship that grows, Hmm. which is kind of strange a little bit. I don't know, other than Steven, who else Tom Hanks really could play. What do you think? It's tough. Yeah, maybe one of the boxing promoters or someone like that or you, oh, you know what would be interesting is if you create a character where uh, Tom Cruise has like a drinking buddy that he goes off <laughs> drinking with like after the fighting and all that kind of stuff and then you know, maybe he's the comedian at the burlesque house and stuff and like they mm. strike up a relationship and we could see him juggle and all that kind of thing, you know. Oh, I do want to point out, we did not mention it last time, Tom Hanks does the yo-yo in oh, yeah. Dragnet, which mm-hmm. we had been tracking a little bit. But yeah, 
absolutely the sort of vaudevillian entertainment, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I just don't see him running into that place, ripping off his shirt and knocking <laughs> anybody out. Like, I just, no offense, like, I, I don't I don't know if Tom Hanks ever got, like, ripped for a movie. I think there's one character in Cloud Atlas that he plays for a minute that scares the shit out of me, but that's, like, as close as he ever got, I think, as, like, intimidating. true, true. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go with that. I'm going to create a whole new character for him to play. Yeah, I don't know where else he would kind of fit. You know, we saw him in Bosom Buddies trying to get a tattoo, and, like, when the needle... I know that his character's not always the same, but I sort of feel like it's all him to an extent, right? But, like, him just getting the one pinprick of the the needle was enough to freak him out. And so I don't know that he would be boxing against guys, you know, even just taller and, like, 100 pounds heavier. Like, I don't think that fits. But where do you fit? Michael, if you want a walk-on role into this movie... If you're going to be a Stanley cameo of sorts, where would you put yourself in this movie? You know where I would put myself? I would put myself in that first scene when they're all, like, beating up one of the landlords who's, like, walking through the town. I would be one of the town people being like, off with his head. That's what I would be. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Mike, what about you? Where would you put yourself in here? Because, again, there's there's a lot of crowd Mm -hmm. scenes, but it feels like there's not a lot of times, like, opportunities really for, like, a few lines here or there. Yeah, it's tough, really. Like, I I think I want to have a spectacular crash in the land race. Like, and I'm talking like I got my whole family with me. (laughs) We've got like a double wagon going and we just hit a ditch and get launched through the air like there's no tomorrow. And you just see me kind of like doffed my hat towards the camera maybe in slow motion for a second uh, as I just kind of shrug going like, oh, well, (laughs) that's the end of me. Guess I'll try Kansas. (laughs) Yeah, on to the next state. You know what I feel that would be funny kind of in that regard? You know, Tom Cruise is about to plant the flag and then he and Steven are battling and they tumble on the horse. I think it'd be funny if they had a character like me in the background who's just like, ooh, this looks like a good spot. And like he like creeps a little bit toward the, the flag. It's just like, maybe not. And then just like sort of backs out of frame. Like just, you know, have a third guy in there. Cause like Nicole Kidman's just looking on, but just have somebody else there like, oh, this is, uh, maybe not. Like, what's going on over here? Okay, I'm moving along. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like respecting people having a moment, being like, all right, y'all are going through some stuff. Good for you. I'm going to find <laughs> another flag. Exactly. So we have an email address here on the show, run at cageclub.me. And Mike, we have an email from oh. past and future guest, Christian Larson. Oh, no way. Awesome. Subject line, born on the 4th of July. So we email us oh, to boy. run at cageclub.me. He writes his email, hey guys, long time, first time. Well, Larson, welcome to the family. I recently listened to your podcast on born on the 4th of July and figured I'd share a story about the first time I saw it. My apologies if it's lengthy. This is back in my high school days. Well, actually, Michael, have you seen Born on the Fourth of July or no? No. So it's a movie where Tom Cruise plays a really sort of... Yeah, it's the Vietnam War vet, right? Exactly. He yeah, goes, yeah. He's like all about... He's a rah-rah patriotic, goes to Vietnam. Kovic or whatever his name is. Yep. Gets paralyzed, comes back, sort of gets disillusioned, becomes this outspoken anti-Vietnam yeah. person. So that's Activist, sort of the context yeah. of this movie. So Larson says, back in my high school days, I had a history teacher named Mr. Note. He was an avid outdoorsman, boxing enthusiast, maybe you've seen this movie, maybe you like this one, mm. an athletic coach, not to mention a former police commissioner and town councilman. But perhaps most notably, to me anyway, he was in charge of our school's debate team. Every now and then he'd pull our class on a contentious topic. Whatever the prevailing opinion was, he would always argue the opposite so convincingly we'd all feel like idiots. It helped that we were almost always wrong. One day, our class was told about how Jimmy Carter had pardoned people who traveled to Canada to escape the Vietnam draft and were asked how we felt about it. Overwhelmingly, the class disapproved, and in response, Mr. Note showed us Born on the Fourth of July. Larson says, hearing you both describe your response to the film 
took me back to sitting in that classroom and being unprepared not just for the intensity of the movie and Cruz's performance, but the questions it raised about what it means to be an American. This was not a movie high school kids were usually shown, especially not sheltered upper-middle-class suburban kids still riding a wave of patriotism after the Gulf War. I learned later that Mr. Note was having conversations like this since he started teaching in the 70s, and I can only imagine how passionate the debate was back then. I only had him for one semester, but Mr. Note really expanded my thinking more than almost any other teacher I ever had, and Born on the Fourth of July was a big part of that. Thanks for reminding me of him, and as usual, for a great podcast. He says the legend of Big Al Note ended appropriately in 2012 with his health in decline. His friends and family held a legendary party to celebrate his life in lieu of a funeral. He passed away that night. You know, I've had great teachers. I don't think I've ever had a teacher that showed me a movie. You know, like, I feel like that's such a killer argument to have. Like, just like, oh, you think that you know what you're talking about? Like, watch this movie. Like, this is, like, based on a real guy. Then let me know what you think. And I think, Mike, you and I both loved Born on the Fourth of July. And I think to have a teacher show a class of students, like, so impressionable at that age... A movie yeah. like that is powerful. Like that, that's a statement. I mean, even at my age, at 39, it was enlightening. You know what I mean? Like, it affected yeah. me in a lot of ways that, you know, I was like, wow, I'm still learning from movies. Like, this is great. Well, Larson, thank you for writing in. I'm glad that we could sort of rekindle those or stir, the, stir up those memories in your brain. Uh, Mr. Not, Mr. Note sounds awesome. Shout out, Mr. Note. And if you <laughs> want to write in about either, you know, a movie that we've talked about, a movie that we're going to talk about, podcast, Tom Cruise, whatever run at cageclub.me. All right, so obviously, very important, mm-hmm. the answer is yes. Does Tom Cruise run in this movie? Yeah, he runs to the Ozarks. <laughs> yeah. And then he even, he even sprints to the uh, the landmarker toward the end there when he's off the horse. And Eight he months, tries maybe. to like run down the stairs and he falls. <laughs> <laughs> now, an equally important question, I don't know if the answer is yes or not. Michael, we found a guy on Twitter, Harperfect or Harperfect who said you can swap out Tom Cruise's name in any movie with Lightning McQueen and it works just as well. Do you think if Far and Away starred Tom Cruise as Lightning McQueen, it is Irish, Yeah. would it have worked? <laughs> it is yeah. Irish. <laughs> yeah. It sounds, I think kind of. Like, this movie's so goofy that, like, why wouldn't that... They It would be like Lightning. You know, his name's really Tommy, but we call him Lightning, and everyone would be like, yeah. hey. Yeah. So I think it would work. <laughs> Yeah, it would be the perfect nickname for his ring name, right? Light, Once he Lightning starts Fist boxing. Yeah. yeah. It's excellent. Because like, especially yeah. since how quickly he knocks people out when he starts. Oh, yeah. He kind of reminded me a little bit of Brad Pitt in Snatch, where it's just like the one punch oh, he goes yeah. down. In, in like equally gritty, grimy sort of underground clubs. But yeah, so yes. For, for how, how serious this movie, in theory, is, Lightning McQueen, absolutely. Okay, time to nominate this for awards i feel like we're gonna i I think you know it's not necessarily the best not my favorite movie that we've done but there's so much in here that is so specifically mike what we cover that i feel like it's gonna it's gonna rack up a lot of awards in that regard so maybe the golden oak leaves maybe the golden sunglasses whatever it is best film i'm okay leaving it off i think it's great but i think considering what we already have here or actually you know well like i think i'm not going best film because i feel like there's stuff missing, right? Like that to me is the okay. mark of like best film is like, I feel complete. Like I'm good to go. I don't need any more maybe, or I'll just rewatch it to this. Like we've been kind of saying throughout, like we can spread this out a little longer. That's fair. And I think in that same regard, Ron Howard for best filmmaker is kind of close, but if he had sort of put out this four hour epic, yes, as it stands right now, it's very good, but not necessarily on par with, Tony Scott or Oliver yeah. Stone or Scorsese or Barry oh, Levinson or whatever. Is this our first crossover director between this and Splash? 
Ooh, maybe, probably. That's fascinating. Uh, such wildly different movies that oh, are yeah. tailored toward these two actors' like strengths at the time. Best Cruise role. Now, Michael, I know you haven't seen everything that we've done, but in terms of what you have seen of Tom Cruise's career, do you think, does this role stack up with the best of the best of his roles throughout his career? Probably not, but... I mean, like, he's fine in it. I just don't think it would... It wouldn't crack my, like, top five, probably. Okay. And, Mike, what about you? you yeah, think it's... Thing? You know what? You know what, really? We don't... We haven't really mentioned it too much. Um, and it. I guess it didn't seem to bother you too much, but the accent... Oh, I didn't mind it. Like, I just sort of settled into it. I was just like, this is what it is. This is where we live now. It kept kind of pulling me out from time to time, if I got to be honest about it. Like, not that they weren't sustaining it, but just that I was just like, it's... It's just kind of weird to hear it coming out of Tom Cruise for so yeah. long. Like Nicole Kidman was a little more natural because she does have an accent. Like she is Australian. Uh, like she she does speak with an actual accent and stuff. But yeah, I don't know. There's just something about that that I couldn't quite get over. All right, that's fair. Uh, I also had read that a lady of her status in Ireland would most likely speak with an English accent, like a very mm. high class, upper crusty British accent. But people thought that that would confuse audiences, so they had her speak sort of in an upper crusty Irish accent, which is not historically accurate, but, you know, so there's well, a little bit of confusion there, too. As long as we're on accents real quick, and Ron Howard, for that matter, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard in Rocketman, has anyone seen that yet? But oh, I that is yet. an accent for the ages. Oh, boy. Uh, that's all I'll say. I don't want to give anything else away, but that came out of nowhere. <laughs> It is. It's a choice. It's certainly a choice. I feel like accents never really bother me. Like, I don't know. I feel like people always complain about, like, like Emma Watson and, like, people like that who do, like, American accents or vice versa. I, I like, never notice. I don't know what it is about me, but I'm like, I don't know. I assume that's just how they talk, I guess. And then I just move on. Like, it's, it's never, I can't even think of a movie where I'm like, that person had such a bad accent. And now I'm trying to think of one. I think they're pro- I've probably noticed it, but I think for the most part, I, it doesn't usually bother me. Like, I think it's just, yeah. like... Oh, this is like there's other things that I think you, like the fact that this is Tom Cruise in a movie that's set in Ireland in 1892 that could take you out of you know what I mean like I know it's all acting to a certain extent I don't know like the only thing I can think of it's because it's when I can't really place the accent like whatever Amy Adams is doing in American Hustle I have no idea what it is <laughs> and I think that's much more confusing whereas if someone's like this is my Irish accent I'm like all right they tried <laughs> like whatever but like when it's so confusing and like not really discernible where they're supposed to be from I think that's when I get a little bit more I'm like this is kind of noticeable and distracting that's fair I think I think I mostly agree with you there most badass role I'm gonna say yes because he punches a horse and punches <laughs> a bunch of dudes I don't know how it can't be most badass role. Also, the same thing, uh, best fight, Joe versus the horse. Uh, we're going to have Joe versus <laughs> Volcano over on Hanks for the Memories, but Joe versus a horse here, that's a pretty goddamn good fight. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean I, I, I'm like awestruck by that moment still when I think about it. That How did they shoot it? What were like the animal rights people thinking when they were approached with this concept and everything? Just like all the minor details. I want a behind the scenes on just that shot. You know, like, forget the rest of the movie. Best theme song soundtrack score. I think it's sort of generically, like, it's good. It's nice. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, talk ill about it or whatever, but I just think it's not necessarily well, memorable. You know, there's a lot of that, like, like, it's most, I'm like, oh, God, make it stop. Best car chase or race? I'm going to say yes, the the race to the free the land grab, right? Yeah, one of the best yet. One of the original car races, if you will. 
There you that's go. What that's we the used first Fast and the Furious. <laughs> yeah, the prequel we deserve. Pit stop. Best dance scene? Do they dance? I guess they they dance. When they, burlesque. The burlesque dance. Well, because there's one point where doesn't she say like, "Are we dancing?" But I don't think it's like necessarily memorable, like the other things mm-hmm. we've had so far in in Cruise Club. Yeah, it's not memorable. It's no risky business. Like that's the burlesque could have been explored way more than. Oh it was. sure, she shows up for literally one night only. <laughs> Special engagement, Michael. One night yeah. only. Best cruise outfit or wardrobe. I mean, I we I mm. sort of like seeing. Or, or do we say naked with a bowl over his junk? Is that an outfit? I guess. Oh, sort of. that counts. Yeah. yeah. That's that hilarious. I mean, there's <laughs> just something so ridiculous about that. It's wonderful. Best sunglasses. I guess this predates sunglasses. I guess so. Who invented those? Ben Franklin? I don't know. <laughs> best death? I mean, he doesn't wind up dead, but he does die. Well, so I'm nominate yeah. this for best death, for sure. I mean, any death you come back from is pretty good, right? <laughs> That's like, always the best one, the one you come <laughs> back from. <laughs> now, the question here, I don't think he really has a best freakout, I don't think, but best line, is it going to be, this is a difficult murder, Shannon Alchester equal in the eyes of the Lord, is it going to be this land is mine, mine by destiny? Is it going to be I feel myself dying? Or is it going to be, and I don't think it's going to be this one, but that's just the line that I bolded. I think this is the night that he runs out to beat up the dude in the middle of the night. Nicole Kidman like, sits up in bed and she says to him, am I beautiful at all? And he just says, I've never seen anything like you in my live-in life. And then she says, good. And then just like rolls over and goes to bed like, what a cock tease there. I think there's got to be a line from here that we nominate for best line, but I don't know what it should be. Yeah, that's a tough one. I... I been getting bad at writing down like standout lines and stuff but I'm sh- man this movie is full of them michael do you have a favorite do you, do, you, do you have one that sort of stands out to you among the rest it's tough because i remember him saying something but i can't remember the exact line but there's the part when he comes out of the horse stable in the beginning and he basically tells her dad like prepare to die basically i kind of like that moment but i can't remember exactly what he says to him so if I had to choose from something that I actually remember, I mean, the land destiny stuff is a little too cheesy. I kind of like the ones about him talking about his own death. I like those a little bit more. There is a line early on that we didn't talk about that when his dad comes back from the dead, his dad <laughs> says to him, you're an odd boy. And he says, you came back from the dead to tell me that I'm odd. And I was like, what? All right. Oh, yeah, that was funny. So maybe I feel myself dying or... It is Ooh. kind of crazy. <laughs> I feel I, I, we'll, go, we'll go with I feel, I feel myself dying. Best sex scene? No, there's not really a sex scene here. Wait, Most yeah, athletic feat, taming a wild horse or chasing down the land grab or like boxing? Like what's what is the most athletic feat or running to the Ozarks? Like he's, there's a lot of athleticism in this movie. What's the most athletic feat in this movie? When you said that, I literally thought you meant F-E-E-T. And I was like, what? What <laughs> movies have you been watching where you're like, wow, the feet were so athletic? Well, Michael, we know that feet are big on the internet and we're just trying to appeal to that demographic. Honestly, yeah, you get a lot of listeners, you know? So you might as well change it while I'm here. Because what people love more than looking at feet is listening about it. Listening to people, <laughs> listening talk, to about people talk about it. Yeah. yeah. But the, what's the most, most athletic thing that he does? Because there's a lot of things he does. What's the, the most athletic thing he does in this movie? I mean, is this a cop-out to say coming back from the dead is pretty impressive? Like, Ooh. I don't know if I would have, like, the willpower to do I'd be like, all right, I guess I'm gone. That's I mean, pretty athletic. Punching a horse takes a pretty strong fist to do that i think taming a horse via punching is what i'm gonna say like there's a lot i feel like he does a lot in this movie really pushes his physicality like i wonder did it it mention if he did any of his own riding and all that kind of stuff because like you know he loves even back then he's a big stunt guy oh and there's also a moment in here where he quotes about chocolate cake and made me think of outsiders Ooh! oh yeah (laughs) 
He loves his chocolate cake on the outside. Oh, wait, I have a good, I have the quote. I think the quote has to be the thing about asking Shannon if he likes the hat, if she likes the hat. Yeah. And then she's like, you're not wearing a hat. And he's like, do you like my hat? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Best running scene, obviously running to the Ozarks. Yeah, of course. Best or worst love story. I feel like it's, again, kind of in the middle. Like, I don't think it's as bad as the one in Cocktail. Um, which is just oh, that's, that's the problematic worst. in a bunch of ways. Oof. I feel like this is just like undeveloped in a way. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I don't think it's bad. I just think it's kind of it's kind of ignored and forgotten yeah. and yeah, not explored really. Yeah. Best ensemble cast? No, because there's only like two people that we know. Um, I'm going to say here best non-cruise actor female. I'm going to put down Nicole Kibben for both, but this, but also more specifically, eventually for Eyes Wide Shut because we know that she's going to get nominated for that. So this is sort of the the kickoff to the nomination for that ultimately. So right now we have nine awards, most badass role, best fight, best car chase, best outfit or wardrobe, best death, best line, most athletic feat, best running scene, and then Nicole Kidman. Is there anything else about this movie that we enjoyed or hated so much that we want to make sure that we nominated for? I think we're pretty good, but is there something that we missed that we want to give credit to? No, I'm, I'm pretty good. That's a lot. I mean, cool. do you have, like, a general, like, best cinematography or something? We have that on other shows. I don't think we I have think that we on I think we were trying yet. to sort of, as much as possible, regulate it to the actual, like, actors that we're trying to cover, right, Joey? Because, like, I think at one time where we were doing, like, Keanu or Charlize, like, we started doing director, cinematographer, yes. yeah, like, yeah, all yeah. these other things. And there it was fun, but at the end of the day, we really just wanted to whittle it down to Cruz and Hanks. Yeah, because yeah, what happens, Michael, is that we have already like 25 categories, and we don't want to have this many at the end, so we sort of pare things down, and we sort of remove categories entirely, and I think what we've learned over doing five or six of these already is just to sort of focus on the stuff that's about the actor that we're covering, and then sort of go from there. So I, yeah, I think this movie fair. does look really nice. I think it's sort of, it oh, does yeah. have an appropriately epic feel. And I think that the camera captures that, but I think just no, like we're probably going to cut the best filmmaker thing, I think, eventually, just because it's not Cruz. Like, it's kind of like a, oh, yeah, he got hired by this guy or whatever. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. but anyway, tell our listeners, if they're still around, about your podcast, because I feel like you're going to be on a Cruz episode at some point with the woman from your first season. And I know you're for sure you're going to be on a uh, Hanks for the Memories episode about the woman from your first season, but why don't you tell everyone listening about Not Her Again? We covered the career of an actress in a couple different ways. So our first season, we did Meryl Streep, and the way we looked at Meryl Streep's career was we looked at every time she lost an Oscar, and we basically looked at, like, why she lost, what she was up against, that kind of thing. Then in our second season, we covered the career of Julia Roberts. We kind of just did that one a little bit more chronologically. I mean, I guess losing Oscars is chronological also. But, like, we just kind of grouped her movies together, like, when she did her breakout stuff, when she did the rom-coms of the late 90s, when she did the Oscar baby stuff, like, all that kind of stuff. And then in our upcoming season, which has been delayed mostly because of me. Um, and by mostly, I mean 100% because of me, because I control <laughs> it. Um, I'm trying to shift blame onto... I'm like, oh, I guess it's mostly my fault, but other people too. It's literally it's entirely also my fault. We know it's um, Yeah, exactly. It's former guest Walt Hickey, who does not record his end of the podcast. <laughs> In our upcoming season, I feel like last time I was really coy about like who it was going to cover, and I kind of like doing that, even though I think Walter already told people who we were covering on another one yep. of your podcasts. But yep. I'm still just going to give a hint, because I think it's fun, and people can piece it together. Everyone's like, we're not taking the time to do that. <laughs> so here's the thing. So the last, so when you're on Too Fast, Too Forever, 
the hint that you gave was that she was not around or she was not alive to collect her Oscar, right? Yeah, it's that she never physically accepted her Oscar. Can you give another clue about her? My other clue about her will be her mom is one of the, like, original founders of what eventually became, like, Planned Parenthood. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. That's very cool. Yeah, that's a fun one. Mike, do you know who we're talking interesting about? Bunch. I thought I did until that clue, but I thought meant should I can I mention who I thought? Yeah, we, we have we have technology. Wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, her mom was responsible for that that long ago. Yeah, her mom was like part of the group that organized. I think the organization that then became Planned Parenthood, but uh, like it wasn't called that then. But yeah, she was like a big uh, contraceptives rights activist oh excellent excellent yeah because joe i think we that came up when we were talking about uh, the aviator at one point with walt for oh, a second. such a good scene when they go <laughs> to the house yes you mean yes. the aviator starring serious actor turned comedic actor turned serious actor again adam scott exactly <laughs> wow. oh yeah yeah that's a great movie i love that movie I have not seen it. I think I, I I bought it at least once, if not twice. I've not seen it because I'm daunted by a three-hour movie, even though, you know, I watched... Wait, watch... you haven't seen The Aviator? No, I oh, should. <gasps> I like it. It's kind of breezy, too. Like, it's Scorsese. It's, you know, it flies by. It's a breezy three-hour... No I, guess, I guess he does have breezy three-hour <laughs> movies, but still. No, it's really good. I would highly... Re- I recently rewatched it and was like, that was so good. And I would watch three more hours of it. Yeah, I think uh, Leo and Scorsese are great together, so yeah, it's really good. Well, Michael, I hope that I make you happy, because last night I decided, because today's episode, as we're recording this, last Tuesday, as you're listening to this, the episode of The Contenders that came out is about my best friend's wedding. And so I decided, oh, while listening to that so episode, good. that I'm going to celebrate Julia Roberts and oh. watch five of her movies. I'm going to watch five that I've never seen before. Hook, uh-huh. Best Friend's Wedding, Mystic uh-huh. Pizza, mm. Notting Hill, and Pretty Woman, and also Homecoming the series. So I'm going to watch those and sort of embrace uh, the Julia Roberts that I know that I love, but I just have not seen a lot of this stuff. So do you think that's a good, is that a good basis for picks? Yeah, no, those are, I mean, I actually have never seen Hook because I don't, <laughs> that's like, I feel like less of a Julia Roberts movie, more of like a Dustin Hoffman, Robin Williams movie. I just want to see her as Tinkerbell. Like, I think that's weird enough and cool enough on its own, but I again, know. I have no interest otherwise, but yeah. Yeah, and Hook is also kind of long, so I'm like, eh. Uh, but Mystic Pizza is like a movie where Walter and I, for when we were starting the season, we obviously started with Mystic Pizza because that's kind of her first big role. And we, like, turned to each other after, and we were, like, because we thought it was going to be kind of corny and stupid, and we turned to each other after, and we were, like, was that, like, did you really enjoy that also? Because I, like, very, (laughs) like, on a very genuine level, I, like, was really invested in that. Wait, so have you seen My Best Friend's Wedding yet? No. Ah! That's, like, probably my favorite, that would be my top five movies of all time. Like, I love My Best Friend's Wedding. So I really need your take on that after. Okay. Notting Hill is really good. I think I think my best friend's wedding is more controversial. Notting Hill, I think, is a little bit more generic, and people really. I I mean, I really love that movie too. I just think it plays it safer. My best friend's wedding is, I think, a very subversive rom com, and Pretty Woman's great. I mean, you have to you have to start with the classics, you know. Sure. You know, I've seen her in a bunch of things, but I but I think like one of the all time great performances, like with a capital G is Aaron Brockovich. Like, oh, I think I'm she so is glad you said that. <laughs> a powerhouse in that movie. Like it's unbelievable how goddamn good she is in that movie. Literally the night I finished law school, I watched Aaron Brockovich cuz I was like I need to be like I need something to make me feel good about my decisions. <laughs> <laughs> and Aaron Brockovich is so good. I think that for me the three performances of hers that always stick out and you're going to see two of them now. You'll have all three. Is my best friend's wedding, 
Erin Brockovich, and I loved her in Homecoming, so I'm super excited to get okay. your take on that also. I think that those are probably three of her best performances ever. Very cool. And then uh, Larry Crown over on Hanks for the Memories. Okay, Larry Crown's like a good movie. (laughs) (laughs) I called it like a hangover movie. Like, I think I watched it one day when I got back from Vegas, and I like just landed, and it was on when I got home, and I just like watched it and then fell asleep. It's like so aggressively pleasant and benign. It's like great. (laughs) Michael, thank you so much for joining us on this episode to to watch this very long, very, very long (laughs) movie, but also... Should have been longer, but thank you, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Always fun. For all things Cruise Club, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Oh, actually, hold on. Pump the brakes. I want to say this, because I made it. I did the work. Mike, I forgot it last time, but next up, we're doing A Few Good Men, right? Tom Cruise nominated for Golden Globe for Best Actor in that movie, so I forgot it the last time we did it, but did not win, but Golden Globe nominated for Best Actor in this movie, so it's a big one. Resuming my outro, cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, like Larson did, run at cageclub.me. Check out our Patreon page, our Threadless shop, and just poke around. Every Friday we have a Tom Tom Club episode, Cruise Club, Hanks of the Memories. You can go get Not Her Again wherever you get this podcast. Still waiting for season three with who knows who it's going to be about. I mean, Mike and I do, but... You know, or just listen to our Risky Business episode where I think Walt blabs it. So uh, just go do that. Um, but anyway, I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Michael Domenico of the Not Her Again podcast. And we'll see you in two weeks for the Golden Globe nominated role in A Few Good Men right here on Cruise Club. <laughs> like it's most I'm like oh god make it stop